Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you by Gaslowitz Frankel. We are a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether it be through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz, and we're talking about family planning dynamics at the end of life. Now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today Nick Jurich, a partner at the Atlanta law firm of Sutherland, Asbill, and Brennan, specializing in tax and estate planning, and Brandy Wright, a wealth manager at Cambridge Wealth Council. Before we start, let me just ask each of you to give our audience a, a brief uh, description of what you guys do. Uh, Nick, why don't you start? Uh, I'm a tax lawyer. Uh, Sutherland is a national law firm, but I concentrate in estate planning, planning for high net worth individuals, planning for families, planning for owners of closely held businesses, and then administering estates and trusts that result from that planning. Brandy? Um, I am with Cambridge Wealth Council, and we do comprehensive financial counseling for our clients' high net worth, um, be it executives, business owners, retirees. All right. Great. So, so we're starting off today, and we've been doing a four-part series talking about how we as professionals can help our families talk about and deal with estate planning so it's smoother and easier for the entire family, including both the planner and, for lack of a better word, the planees. And we talked about, uh, two months ago, we talked about how one starts the planning process as you're beginning your careers. And last month, we talked about as you've now become more established in your careers and you have adult children and are starting to have grandchildren, how we can change our planning and plan and our attitudes. This week, we're talking about as we near the end of life as our parents or we are aging and our children are now adults and our lives are, are largely set financially or at least hopefully they are how do we address the issues of both estate planning and how do we address the issues of decisions we're going to make as a family for how we're going to, tr to treat our families and our children and our parents and our grandparents as they age so Let's just start off, and, and Nick, I'll start with you. What are some of the things that we as families, both, again, from the planning perspective and from the family perspective, need to think about or talk about as we start to age? Well, you started by saying planning as a family, uh, and that is a uh, would be a uh, important way to do it, but it's often not done that way. It is often either not planning, but let's assume uh, there is planning going on. And by it, the way, not planning is planning. It is. There are rules that will happen. We know what will happen if you don't plan. There is a plan for you, uh, whether you plan for it or not. Uh, the other element, though, is planning done just by the planners, and to use your term, not involving the planees at all. Very often what mom and dad or what uh, what dad and dad's uh, second wife plan is just a black box that the planees have no clue what's going to be uh, coming uh, down the road. 
So just to start with how you've asked, how, what, what kind of things should the family be thinking about, maybe the first thing to think about is involving uh, the children in the planning and starting them from an early stage in, in the discussions. Because setting the expectations early will go a long way to avoid uh, uh, misconceptions and disappointment later on. I assume that's particularly true if you have family businesses that are involved. That's right. And very often, uh, you're going to have to address uh, the planees if there's a family business because there's going to be simply no way for you to keep that wealth within the family unless there's someone uh, that you've planned for to come behind you to take it over. The business is not going to be run by itself after you're, after you're dead. And I'm going to throw out two statistics that I, I look up these statistics. This is kind of a boring life I have. So 80% of all of our wealth in the United States comes from small businesses and family-owned businesses. And 95% of all businesses will fail in the second generation. Yeah, from either lack of planning or lack of interest or a lack of uh, any kind of ability in a, in a future generation uh, to take it over. Very often, those that uh, are good at creating wealth don't produce children that are uh, good at maintaining or, or working with wealth. And that's not something always that parents can control. Uh, there's a lot of randomness in or, how your or, kids Or are even recognize. So, 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 so Brandy, Brandy, Nick talked about that you got to, the first step is bring the family in. As somebody who's being a financial planner and advising families, how do you do that? Um, I think that when you sit down with a family, the worst thing you can do is go in there with a mindset of what they need. Um, you really have to know the family dynamic. You've got to spend some time with the nuances of everybody's personality. And if you, you know, dad may feel one way, mom may feel a separate way. And if you don't spend time getting to personally know what they want, not together, but even separately, you'll never get a plan to fruition. So I think the family dynamic is really the genesis of getting a good plan but even I, together. I imagine that with regard to both of your practices, generally when you're meeting with the client, what we typically would call the client, it will be with that one generation, the, the, <laughs> the person doing the planning. So the rest of the family isn't involved, at least in that initial meeting. Do you do anything, either of you, to uh, to either bring them in or to talk to that particular client about involving the rest of the family? Um, f yes. I mean, definitely you start to ask the parents, you know, friendly questions about their children and what, you know, what was a holiday like together. Start feeling, you know, getting a sense of how they all communicate together. Then you will know, um, whether or not bringing that second generation in for a conversation and how best to approach that or offer that up as a suggestion. But it really, the getting to know your client is the single biggest step in this whole process to me. I heard a comedian uh, on the radio last yesterday that said that when you go on a first and second and third date, you're not meeting the person you're dating, you're meeting their representative. Exactly. And that they really aren't able to be truthful of who they really are. I find that to be true when you start talking about the relationships with your children. If you ask any parent about their child, the majority are gonna say they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, so Nick, how do you get through that veneer that may be accurate, it may be inaccurate, but you just don't know? Well, very often you are clued in to 
potential disconnects uh, between what the parent thinks uh, their children either are or capable of uh, and what you suspect might be the case by just things that come out in those in those planning uh, conversations. And very often you'll led to be asking, uh, do your children know this uh, when you, when the parents have expressed some kind of assumption uh, or what they believe their children probably expect? A client who uh, I had who planned to leave most of her wealth uh, to charity assumed her children would know that. Uh, she's <laughs> been very charitably inclined uh, throughout her, her, her lifetime. She assumed they would know that mom was going to leave everything to, uh, to a series of charities and foundations. Do they know that? Because if they don't know that, uh, it might be time to set a different expectation. Okay, so uh, let now. me say on the radio right now, kids, all my money, what little it is, is going to charity. You're not getting a dime. Yeah, most most people don't expect that of their parents. Most people expect an inheritance. And and the problem is they often don't know what the estate looks like. Absolutely not. Uh, that probably one of the biggest source of tensions we have in estate administration is a discovery by the children or very commonly one of the children because there'll be one child that was very involved with mom and dad until the end and then the others were not. Where did it all go? I saw 10 years ago a bank statement that had this amount on it. Where did it all uh, go? There's often perfectly legitimate explanations uh, for where it all went. But there is an immediate, uh, uh, there's an immediate conflict, an imme immediate level of distrust that then that one child who was involved uh, often will have to spend a long time uh, uh, dealing with, whereas the and parents if, could have dealt with that. Sure, and if before. it's a second marriage, there's always a, an assumption that the second spouse did something with it or her kids did something with it. Yes. Uh, and those discussions generally don't happen. E even if the kids are, as Craig mentioned earlier, in their 50s and 60s and the parents are in their 70s and 80s and 90s, there's still uh, a general lack of understanding about what's actually involved in the estate and what's actually going to happen to that estate. Before you get to the money, Brandy, so what I'm hearing is, and I and I see this. Um, Nick could be the screening lawyer for our office. Everyone thinks they have their parents have more money, and they don't understand why the controlling child or controlling third spouse spent it. But it seems to me that can't be the first thing you say. That you know, here's where the money is, and normally where the money went was to take care of the aging parent through the end of life. How do you talk about that, where you're going, you know, where do we want to spend our money, regardless of how much money we have? Uh, again, you got to know the you got to know your client. Um, and I was, you know, speaking to really, you got to do your homework before you sit down with a client. We live in a day and age where it's, you know, a simple Google search and I can see their wedding pictures. I can see what kind of lifestyle they live. I can also find out what their children are interested in, what SEC school they like. Um, and just by virtue of doing that kind of homework, I'll be able to tailor my discussions with them in order to find out who is going to be my most problematic child in any kind of discussions on getting estate plans done or trying to um, get everybody on the same page and happy with how we're going to explain, oh, this money was spent here. How do I tailor this conversation? Yeah. I assume you both find what I found early in my practice, which is most parents know exactly what their children are like. No. You haven't found that? No. I think that a lot of them will, again, they'll have a veneer that they think, oh, this is, you know, my child does this, this, and this. They've never seen their Facebook page. 
And, and, I, and every parent's an enabler. What, what do you think, Nick? I think parents not only don't know what their children's like, I don't think they know what their children's expectations are. I think parents often misjudge what their children will uh, think or react to a certain situation. You mentioned the second spouse situation. Mm-hmm. There are very often children who are perfectly at ease with their parents getting remarried. It's my dad's money. He can do with it what he wants. I want him to be happy. And if he spends it all on her and leaves it to her, that's fine with me. There are other children, there may be a sibling in that same family, who does not believe that at all and might have a perfectly amicable, correct relationship with that second spouse, but be resenting uh, the spending all along. And the parent has no clue. How do you bring that out in a way that is productive so that you can... Uh, eliminate or, or limit the amount of friction that you have when one of them dies. You asked them about the holidays. Who did you spend your <laughs> holidays with? Who showed up? What did you do for birthdays? What kind of vacations do you have? You'll be able to figure out this children who do show up for these events and the ones who are not there as often. Just from those kind of conversations, you can start figuring out who's going to be your yeah. problem. I found you can also, if you ask them how their kids handle money, Parents at least know that, that some of their kids are savers, some of them are spenders. Some of them are married to someone who's a spender, and so they, they have nothing, or they're always asking for uh, loans or, to, or, or money from the parents. So you can start to get a sense of how they themselves uh, handle money and, and how they'll react when they do or don't get money from the parents. That's right. And some parents, uh, some parents set a pattern with particular children uh, that they don't even recognize themselves uh, as to what they're doing, and it may be only one of the children they're, they're doing it with that enable certain kind of bad uh, spending, and they don't, they don't recognize it as they're going along as, as problematic. Uh, we, it's, we heard- it's tough. It's tough to get parents to see their children for what other than Craig said, <laughs> just the world's greatest children. Well, well, they also see their children as still 11 years old. So Always. you get labels. So whatever you view your child, the greedy child, the smart kid, the organized kid, they're the same even when they're 80. Adam mentioned something that I think we really need to talk about which is they may be influenced by their spouses. I, I, I don't think we can understate that. Everyone. So let's talk a little bit about when we're talking about talking to the family, how should we integrate or not integrate the spouses of our children? That's even tougher. Brandy mentions the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> holidays are... Uh, they probably are a good uh, barometer, but I don't know they're, they're there's any test. family that does not have a stressless holiday. <laughs> and the, the spouses of, uh, of children is, is Craig, uh, a largely um, – it can go both ways. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it can be a negative factor, but it's very often the spouse – who is an avenue to the parents actually having some kind of um, uh, a better understanding or a better conversation with their children because often their child will have married someone who's very sensible about these kind of things, has some detachment because they didn't grow up in that household. Oh, you've met my wife. <laughs> they aren't treat. They didn't get uh, a characteristic at age 11. They got it as an adult, which may mean it's more realistic characteristic. There are many parents that talk more highly of their children's spouses than they do their own <laughs> children because they don't have those labels. And they're very, they're very uh, pleased with them. But it's tough because they're not blood and there's this this sense uh, that's still very strong among family members. We have to work very hard, for example, to convince parents uh, leaving significant wealth to children to remember 
that their child may use that wealth to support a spouse and that if their child goes away, there may be a spouse out there uh, still in need of some support sometime in the future. And they have a concept that, no, that money stays in the family, and they don't view that spouse as, as sharing in that. It's not universal, but it's, but it's very common. But it's tough to bring spouses in for that cultural but, reason. But, but if you're going to recognize that there's a potential problem uh, brewing in the future, you need to bring all of that to bear. What I do is um, you get to know the spouse by virtue of talking. You know, where did they go to college? What do they do for a career? What kind of family background did they have? And then um, from that, I can, you know, make the suggestion that, you know, this isn't your your son, your daughter, and they don't have any wills yet. You know, woohoo for Christmas. Let's give them wills. Let me bring them in here. Let me get them a simple set of wills done. That way it puts me in front of this couple. I can then, you know, fish out what's going on with them. And then that way I can go back to my direct clients and do a better job of, encompassing everybody into this you're listening to wealth matters a radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth we are your host today craig franklin and adam gasowitz from the fiduciary litigation law firm of gasowitz frankel we're talking with nick jurich a partner at sutherland and brandy wright a wealth manager at cambridge wealth council and we are discussing family planning dynamics at the end of life we started off how difficult it is to talk about money. It seems to me that's easy in comparison to talking about how you want to treat your parent or your parent wants to be treated as they get older and more um, physically and mentally less capable. And it's, it's, it's sometimes it's dramatic, but normally it's a gradual change. How do you and frankly, should you start bringing these topics up before they happen? Well, it, it bringing them up before it happens is crucial because almost always these decisions about how mom and dad should be treated, how how they should be taken care of, are made in a crisis atmosphere because there has been some incident uh, that has triggered a need for someone to step in and take care of mom and dad, and that's so that's unfortunate, both for the parent and for the children. The child then is often uh, forced to scramble. Uh, for information, for resources, sometimes for a place uh, because mom and dad or dad can no longer uh, live at home. There is a lot of stress. There is confusion. There are bad decisions that are made. There is resentment to siblings who don't take part in those activities, either because they don't live around or because they just can't deal with it uh, like the like the so-called responsible child can. So the pre-planning of that kind of thing is important. And that's a tough one to bring up, too, because most healthy uh, people who are in older age feel as if they were just still out of college. Uh, they feel like their old self. They can't imagine having those things happen to them. And they really don't want to think about the possibility of needing to be taken care of. Uh, and so getting that conversation started can be tough. Is, is it the, generally the role of the attorney doing the estate planning or the role of the, of the financial manager who's probably got more contact with the family on a regular basis? I believe it's going to be the, the wealth manager. Um, the very first time I ever sit down with a potential client, even before they have signed a contract, I ask them the questions straight out the gate. You know, do you have an estate plan? When was it last done? I ask them the questions, um, are your parents still alive? How, you know, if they aren't, how do they pass away? What age do they pass away? 
I ask those questions the first day. I also ask them, do you have siblings with children? Um, or do you think you're named as the guardian in their documents? And find out those kind of family, the web, you know, who, who I need to be thinking about. I always ask them right out the gate as well. Do we need to be making plans for caring for an elderly parent down the road? So I get all this kind of information just the first day. Do, do you ask about whether they have either long-term care insurance or some other funding vehicle to deal with care at the end of life? I do. I ask them about that, and then depending on yes or no, then I the next question is, what kind of medical history have you had? What kind of medical history do your parents have? Because I want to know that kind of information before I even go down a trail where they may not even be able to qualify for long-term care or anything. So I do get a pretty you know, a, a great graph of the family do, in do, a family tree. Do you tend to talk to them about whether they've discussed these issues with their kids? Yes. I what? try to get a comfort level. Um, you know, have you had a discussion? Do the kids know what kind of money do you have? Have you had 30,000 feet conversations with them on what to expect? What kind of car do they drive now? What kind of car did they get when they were 16? I try to get these kind of flush these kind of questions out to see how they've done money with their children and what their children's expectations. Or just what about, you know, do they, you know, have you discussed with your kids whether if something happens you want to be in a nursing home or you want to be in assisted living or you want, you know, a caregiver coming to the home or, or just how you want to deal with general issues. You know, you're healthy now, but you're, you know, you're in your 70s, 80s, right. 90s, and you're not going to be. Free. You ask them about their parents, how they treated their parents. If you, if they've put their parents in a nursing home, you know where that, you know, that's, that's their comfort level. Then you find out if their parents are still doing well then you ask them, how would you treat your parents? And then you can find out from their perspective. And however they feel they're going to treat their parents, that's how they're going to want to be treated. Although parents often get treated differently. I see in my parents' generation a great reticence to talk about this. But I see what Nick pointed out is correct. A crisis comes up and the child will make a decision that often the parents resent, but they never talk to them about it in advance. And, and, and I see this as a very difficult thing. And we all have an almost static view of nursing homes and assisted living that, frankly, are inaccurate. How do we talk to either our parents or how do our parents talk to our children or how do we as advisors talk to both to let them say that if you make these decisions or talk about it, the decisions will be, if not better, at least more accepted by everybody? Um, if I have a client who is not going to be, you know, is not comfortable with this discussion, is not comfortable, you know, talking with their children, then I know at that point in time I have to reach out to the children by permission of the client, but um, I have to speak with the children. It, I have a obligation to make sure that even if my client won't speak for themselves, I'm trying to see that their best interests are taken care of by their family. So how do you deal with, you know, as parents age, even if they're still living on their own, um, and often you have problems when, when one elderly parent dies and the other is, is living on their own, uh, how, do you, how do you deal with uh, the issue of, of predators, elder abuse? Um, you know, sometimes the, the predators are, are other children. Sometimes it's caregivers. It's um, you know, other advisors. You know, how, how do you talk to them about that, and how do you encourage them to bring their, their whole family together to, to start addressing the kinds of issues that may come up if they're not careful. And you don't know until they happen. It's the what we're seeing a lot. The guy that comes in the neighborhood and charges them $10,000 for their roof, and the mom or the dad is afraid to tell you, or things like that. So 
Unfortunately, when you deal with a predator or or someone like that, it's often after the fact. So well, how- a lot of time it's an adult child who's living with the elderly parent and and the other children who live in other places are assuming that you know, at least at least so and so is there taking care of mom and dad, but sometimes right. they're 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 taking care of and taking advantage of at the right. same time. The Craig says sometimes it's too late. It's often not too late if it's found out right away or if it's found out while it's happening. And I think the best defense against a lot of that is to make sure that the parent has a network of people looking out for them. You can't take away their control over their resources. That's the perfect kind of control. It's just mom and dad don't have any control over it. That's that's not respectful, usually, of their individual uh, dignity and their ability uh, to do it themselves. But if you can ensure they've got a network of people looking out for them, and by that I mean not just relatives, not just the one child who will take care of everything for mom and dad, but mom's attorney, uh, who is involved in things and keeps an eye open. Mom's accountant who keeps an eye open for things. Uh, the, 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 the person, the, the, the woman at mom's bank uh, who meets with her and sees her uh, come in. Uh, or, or if she's got investments, mom's investment uh, analyst who's keeping an eye on the investments and the flow in and out of cash. All of them are positioned to raise a red flag. And if they all know one another... To whom? They can raise that red flag with one another. And together, they could say, something's going on, and we need to do something about it. And then the ideal thing to do is to go to the family members that care uh, about mom and dad and to mom or dad and ask uh, what's going on. And usually usually then you can spot it uh, happening and hopefully... Uh, either nip it in the bud or cure it uh, as soon as possible after it happened. Brandy, are you finding that you have the relationships with other advisors and the authority to go talk to them? Um, Oftentimes, yes. Um, The idea is I'm looking at retirement cash flows. I'm looking at investment statements. So I've got the client comfortable enough to discuss with me you know, money where it's exiting, you know, are you giving such and such child? Do I need to plan for this child to have so much money that you're helping them per month? Um, what's, you know, when's the last time you had your roof done? What's this? So in my process of doing these planning, you know, strategies, I'm finding out where they are vulnerable. You know, if they are giving a lot of money to one child or another, then I start with discussions on gift tax returns and how we want to treat both children so it's really flushing out all of this and my biggest objective is to be proactive so that I don't have any of these surprises. I don't want any of my clients or anybody to be at the mercy of a predator by any means. So I really do try to know everything that's around them, you know, from their CPA to who they got their home loan with. And all yeah. of those professionals are by professional instinct very protective of their clients' privacy and normally wouldn't talk about their clients' affairs with one another. But if they suspect there's something wrong and something that needs to be done to protect their client, they not only, I think, ethically have, they also just, as a psychological matter, give themselves more leeway to open up with other professionals and ask, do you think there's something wrong too? You know, and I just had a client in this past week, and while he was there, we made the calls to who his property and casualty insurance and had him on the phone and said, you know, please let Brant, you know, grant Brandy with any information that she needs. So I do that a lot along the way so that those 
um, relationships are established with whom else they're getting advice from. Do you have have parents who uh, who say, you know, let my kids have copies of the statements so that they at least know what's going on so there's some amount of transparency among all of the children? I've only had one. And the transparency <laughs> going rare. along the way as you age, what we see a lot of is what I'll, I'll uh, refer to as going dark, that the person ages and they're not coming in. You call and try to set up a meeting and they don't show up. And then when they get to us, there's a new advisor in place, often arranged by a caregiver or a child or a church member or whatever. But, you know, there's a limit to what you can do. And we're seeing a huge change in advisors at the end of life. And when you talk to the advisor, often whom are very good, their answer is they never really did any planning or they wanted to make a change or they wanted to switch to their kids or whatever it is. But a huge problem I'm seeing is the advisor that's been along the way for a while is no longer the advisor. What do y'all do when you get put in that position? It is it is not uh, it is not a good position. And if it raises a red flag, it ought to uh, it ought to uh, trigger uh, a response in those of us uh, that do this work to be very cautious about proceeding. When child brings mom in to meet with a new uh, estate planning lawyer in order to do the changes that mom wants to do, and none of the other children are involved, that's a that's a red flag. And fortunately, I've not encountered uh, that. Uh, situation very often. Have I, you encountered the inverse, where your client had their 15-year-old will, and suddenly they pass away, and they have a new will done 30 days ago? I have encountered that, and it's 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 very disappointing, and it is it is it's unfortunate that it could happen, and it usually doesn't. Ha- uh, it's usually very difficult to have that happen if you have what I've mentioned before, a network of professionals uh, who are involved, and I I just. I can't stress that enough uh, to have uh, the, the, the professionals in place each doing what they do best, uh, but who are put in touch with one another and kind of look at what they're doing as a team uh, exercise for that client. Well, it becomes very difficult not only then to take advantage, uh, but then to have the client be steered toward a single new professional that can change things. In, in our experience, that usually come up in one, comes up in one of two situations. One is when there's a child who is... I won't say a ne'er-do-well, but, but a child who has is, who is needed support from their parents throughout their lives. And uh, the other situation is when, when you have a new spouse, a new second or third spouse, who's um, uh, concerned as, as the, uh, the client gets older that they're going to be either left out or not completely taken care of. And so you see uh, behavior by those two classes of individuals um, take over and sort of operate outside of the bounds of the advisors that you uh, currently have in place. And it's hard to find that out. It's not only hard to find it out, it's also hard to know what's right and wrong sometimes in the situation. Very often the changes that are being made are what that client wants to do. They're in love with this new spouse and that's their new plan. And as hard as that may be for the children to accept it, it may not mean that it's nefarious uh, what's going on? Right, but do you, do you ever sit them down and say, All right, we can change this plan any way you want, but but if you don't talk to your family about it, if you don't let them know in advance, the plan may or may not end up being carried out because they'll end up being litigation over it. That somebody who gets surprised at the end by, by a large change in a plan uh, assumes that something nefarious happened, 
And so you're going to end up in litigation regardless of whether that's the plan the parent wanted. And a minimum, if the parents talk to the kids and say, this is what I want, you can eliminate some of that. But you know, as you both know, parents are often reluctant to have those conversations. I think some of it, too, is you really need to arm your client with good confidence and knowledge about what exactly they have in place for an estate plan. If they are vague because the documents are intimidating and they don't understand it, but they know they signed it, they're going to be more vulnerable to influences from a spouse or, or a child. But if you are reviewing, summarizing, and educating them and getting them confident with what they have in place, they will be more likely, they'll be able to withstand those kind of influences. Okay. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with Nick Jurich, a partner at Sutherland, Asmill & Brennan, and Brandy Wright, wealth manager at Cambridge Wealth Council. And we're discussing family planning dynamics for end-of-life issues. Let, let's pick up on your last comment. How many of your clients actually do understand their estate plan <laughs> that's um every year we go over a summary um the documents themselves are are large i mean i just looked at one of those 83 pages Ugh. um <laughs> nick wrote that time. <laughs> and so um i do one page summaries i give them the bullet points and um even down to handwritten graphs on understanding what their estate plan looks like the flow of it who's going to get what and then when they can arm themselves with that visual when they're in front of their children or spouses who may have questions about what they've got in place, they're more they're armed. They know how to speak for themselves. Do, do you do you ever uh, have uh, children of clients contact you and uh, with with concerns and and maybe ask about what they can do to either you know convene a family meeting or or engage in some sort of intervention to to prevent what they see as some impending disaster, real or imagined. Uh, yes, I've had, um, we've had children come to us because they, they needed the transparency. They didn't understand. They were fearful. And once you give them that transparency, call it together, I've gone to a cabin in the woods with families on retreats and had these kind of conversations. And um, We're glad you got back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, once once these kids are, they understand that I, too, am looking out for them, not only their parents, um, it, you know, at the end of the day, you want the entire family to be comfortable with this. So, what, what do you what do you do, Nick, when when the family comes to you, not not the client per se, but the family? Well, the easiest <clears throat> thing to do is just to uh, treat them all as uh, all as your client, and as you know, that's that can be difficult, um, and it can create uh, conflicts of interest, but it it can work, and it can work then on. Uh, on, on a number of levels. One, you'll often, as a result, have a common set of expectations uh, and understanding about what the family's uh, overall goal is. If it's a closely held business, for example, it can be extremely valuable to have that kind of uh, understanding, particularly if you've got some children who are involved in the business and some uh, who aren't, but all of whom are involved in the planning. It will uh, it will bring out uh elements where one child maybe is being treated differently than the others. One is borrowing a lot from uh, mom or dad. It allows you to insist on formalizing uh, the plan, uh, making sure everybody's got the right uh, documents, both both uh, the top generation and the, and the lower generations. If they're willing to bring spouses uh, in as well, 
it can be it can be very valuable uh, because then you've uh, you've cleared the air on 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 that as well. But I again I stress that that setting of expectations uh, and and having the children understand what they can expect uh, is probably the biggest uh, cure for the conflicts later. Because if you're prepared for what you know, Adam, you mentioned. Uh, never having told the, the children that things were changing and then it's revealed at the end, it's going to be assumed to have been nefarious. Uh, but if it's if it's broadcast ahead of time and it's thought about and planned as a family, then you can have sometimes some significantly uh, uh, oddball-looking estate plans that make perfect sense to that that family as a as a group. Brandy, you mentioned talking to the family and explaining things you mentioned before we started the show that you often offer to be the bad guy mm-hmm. and for you to do that and and i think you were telling me if i understood right that the the family member is is, is a bit scared to say it because they just don't want the conflict yes and that you can relieve them of that how do you get them to actually let you do that um Again, it's it's all about having spent a lot of conversations, comfort level, um, really encouraging them. Let me take this off your plate. Let me get them educated, knowledgeable. Let me be the one who's going to tell them you're not getting it right. right. You're going to get it like this. You're not going to be getting um, annual gifts like you're wanting. You know, I need to take care of your parents first, make sure that their life is comfortable. We don't want to compromise their standard of living. And then I will take care of you. My ultimate goal is not just for the relationship to stop with that first generation. I do want the secondary generation. I still want to work with this family and this legacy. So when they understand that I'm going to be fair, I'm going to look out for them, and I'm also going to look out for you, um, it, it just, they get comfortable with me. And the parents really, when I'm trying to tell them, let me take this off your plate, let me be the bad guy, and I have no problem with it. I can be as straightforward as I need to. Do you have arranged? Fa- I mean, we've talked about this before. Do you have arranged family meetings where you've brought in not just the family but other advisors? You know, a family counselor, uh, the accountant, um, you know, the, the lawyer, the, the financial advisor. Absolutely. I mean, often it will depend on the capacity of the family to afford that kind of uh, level of sophistication. Although compared to the estate dispute they'll have later, it's probably not that expensive. Oh, right. And if only they knew that, uh, or you could convince them of that uh, early on. But absolutely. Families that meet uh, regularly, maybe have an annual meeting. Brandy mentioned going over those documents, going over that plan every year. That's fantastic. And if it can be done in 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 the context of a family, uh, meeting where everyone's gotten together and to have uh, fun uh, as well and then show as an example to even the youngest generation that this is what your family does and this is how we discuss these things and we are willing uh, to discuss them and we're not embarrassed uh, to discuss them but we come together and plan you that's a powerful legacy to provide one to fam- those generations as well one family had a wonderful um, setup every year they brought the family together brought the, the attorneys in and we, they were there for the weekend the experts came in and we had our discussion we had dinner with everybody and for one day and then the family carried on for the rest of the weekend and that was their annual family meeting as a d- d- Nick I hear what you're saying is let's try to do this, but I I, I perceive for lawyers, even in the wealthier families, a great reluctance to pay the lawyer to be the one to initiate this. 
Yes. I mean, we're often we're often the priciest uh, of the of the advisors. And Adam, you know, mentioned that it's cheaper now than it will be to pay the lawyers involved in the litigation. And that's very true. But that but but we can be. But that's why, again, that team of professionals is important, because Brandy mentioned the time she spends talking finding out about the family, asking about things. That ex- can be expensive time uh, when you're doing it with a lawyer. But there are other professionals you can do it with who can gather that information. And that uh, is important to what they do. And that might be the best place to have those conversations and maybe rely on the attorney for a different kind of uh, advice, a real uh, maybe a higher level discussion of what those documents do or some higher level suggestions for how to handle a particularly tricky situation because because we can do uh, tricks with language or, 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 or tricks with documents that will solve a problem. Use each professional to solve the problem they're best at doing. Brandy can, can tell those parents and those kids, here's how much you've got. Here are the dollars. Here's your glide path through retirement. Here's what you're going to be left with at the end. Tell those children, I've got to take care of your mom and dad. The lawyer can explain, here's how we've set up this particular uh, trust that's going to take care of you. Here's a tr- here's a device we can put in there that'll give the children the option to take care of a spouse, but not if uh, not if a situation is bad, or how they can treat one child grandchild unequally than the other. That's what we can do, and then bring the accountant in to discuss the tax issues and the income tax uh, planning that can be done. All those professionals are good at what they are best at, but together it's you can get amazing results. One of my big complaints about our medical system is I can't get all the various care providers to talk to each other because they're not being compensated or they don't have the time or I don't have the ability to bring them together. I, I, I'm kind of perceiving that in the planning as well. How do you get the information from the financial planner or the accountant or from the lawyer where they are talking because that mechanism doesn't seem to exist a lot? Well, the client, the client needs to authorize everyone to talk to each other. Right. And I, I take the initiative on that. Maybe they haven't thought about me connecting with their CPA or the attorney, but um, I definitely instigate and try to get all of those relationships. I want those professionals to be comfortable with me and to seek me out with any questions. Or if they've got something they need the client to do and they won't execute on it, I want them to call me and let me help facilitate getting things completed. Um of all the professionals, m- my favorite is the attorney. If I can have ours a, too. <laughs> if I can have a great relationship with the attorney, not only m- myself but the family. If the family can be very comfortable with the attorney, that's only going to make things better in the long run. And that goes for the children as well. If that's just one year, let me have the family in and bring the attorney in on a teleconference, just so the voice is there, the name is there, the recognition is there. That will help make it smoother down the road one of my favorites is the accountant uh they are they are in front of them mandatorily every year just to do the taxes but they're really busy then they oh they're always busy there's never a good time of the year to deal with the accountant but they have pretty amazing insight at times into uh what's going on and can see things and have great suggestions often for how the family can uh uh, make an adjustment and come out better. But I just, to second what Brandy says, uh, sh- working as a team is great. Often you'll need someone to quarterback it among the various advisors. And Brandy's often the, in, in a great position uh, to do that. But sometimes it's the estate attorney. Sometimes it's the client 
himself or herself because they're into it and they're really good at it. And they are the ones who are getting all their advisors to work together. Or if it's in a context of a family business, they've got someone at their business who's really good at doing that for the family, serving as that 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 quarterback. But uh, yes, they need to be all be authorized to talk together. Uh, but when they do, you'll get much better results. Well, I was going to ask each of you, because we're really nearing the end of the show, what you're kind of last advices. Nick, I think you just answered the question. Brandy, what's your last advice? You got you got a one-time shot to tell everybody your brilliance <laughs> and how they're going to solve all their problems. And you could do it in 10 seconds. I would say um, don't make any assumptions. You know, be very open-minded. Listen to your client. Don't go in there with a game plan already in place. You need to know what they want and what they need. And if you're not listening, you're going to, they're going to, they're not going to benefit in the long term, and they're going to end up having to do it again. All right. Well, let, let's wrap up now. I just want to give each of you a chance to provide uh, our, our audience your contact information, your website, your whatever social media, hashtag, uh, et cetera, that you have for our listeners so that they can get to know you and more about your company. Well, so. you can go to uh, Sutherland.com, uh, 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 and there you'll find more information about our tax uh, group and our tax practice, our estate planning practice, and most importantly, you can – uh, look at the bios of the professionals uh, here uh, in, in Atlanta and in other cities that do this kind of work and find out more about us. Brandy? Um, you can find out more about myself and my firm at cambridgewealthcouncil.com. Um, you can also email me at brandy, B-R-A-N-D-Y, at cwcouncil.com. As we're wrapping our show up, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. Today, we've talked about family planning dynamics at the end of life. For more information about the show or about the people that were here today, please go to gasowitzfrankel.com and remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Nick Jurich, a partner at Sutherland, and Brandy Wright, a wealth manager at Cambridge Wealth Council. Next week, we're going to finish this four-part series and talk about family dynamics after the patriarch or matriarch has died and how one kind of proceeds. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Mm -hmm.